The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning. My name is Sissy. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to be with you this morning. Hopefully you are staying cool through this heat wave. I don't think I understood the meaning of a heat wave until I moved to Dallas. And so praise God for air conditioning. Uh, We are in the middle of our summer series that we've called The Paths to Peace, where we're looking at the wisdom literature of the Bible. And we've been in the Psalms for the past few weeks. And the Psalms are songs or poems that express the full range of human emotion. And specifically, we've been looking at the Psalms of David. And some of these Psalms he wrote during some really crucial moments in his life. Moments of great joy and thanksgiving, but also moments of deep pain and loss. And we see how David met and experienced God. And we've looked at psalms of confidence and thanksgiving, psalms of wisdom. And last week, Barry took us through Psalm 51, a a psalm of repentance. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 3, a psalm of lament. To lament is to express deep sorrow, grief, or regret. And David writes this poem when his life is falling apart. He's in deep distress and anguish. Horatio Spafford knew what it was like when your life falls apart. He was a follower of Jesus who was also a businessman and real estate investor in Chicago. And in 1871, he and his wife Anna lost their four-year-old son to scarlet fever. And then a few months later, much of his property holdings were wiped out because of the great Chicago fire. And then in 1873 tragedy struck again. The Spaffords, along with their four young daughters, had planned to go to Europe on a trip. And uh, Horatio was held back because of an unexpected business problem. And so he sent his family on ahead, uh, planning to join them in just a short while. After four days on that journey, the ship carrying Anna and their daughters collided with another ship. And within about 12 minutes, their ship sank beneath the dark, murky waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 of its 313 passengers, including the four Spafford girls. Anna survived. She was rescued and brought to Cardiff, Wales, where she sent Horatio a wire that began with these words, saved alone. What shall I do? Imagine Horatio's grief when he received that wire. First his son, then his business, and now his four daughters. He had lost all of his children. In a moment, his life fell apart. His world crumbled into a thousand pieces. Over the past few weeks, I've sat across from friends who feel like their lives are falling apart. A friend who has just been diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And it's spreading quickly to the rest of her body. Another friend who is struggling with infertility. Her and her husband have spent thousands of dollars and and gone through countless treatments. 
And still they find themselves feeling hopeless and in despair. Still another friend who, who, whose company shut down during the pandemic and so he lost his job. He's gone on interview after interview after interview. And still no work. And the bills are piling up and he's not sure how he's going to provide for his family. Another wonderful godly couple that I know is devastated as they watch their adult daughter walk away from her faith and from their family. I wonder if you've ever been in a place like that. Maybe you're in a place like that this morning. Maybe you feel like your life is falling apart. Like your world is crumbling all around you. Everything is going wrong. What do you do in those moments? What do you do when your life is shattered in a thousand pieces? You do what David did in this psalm. You lament. This morning, I want to walk through Psalm 3 with you. And I want to share with you four steps that David took in his lamenting. And here they are. You run to God. Remember God. Rest in God. And rely on God. Run to God, remember God, rest in God, and rely on God. Now, I'm going to apologize ahead of time that there are four R's. That's such a bad preacher move. But the first three happened unintentionally, and then I had to make the fourth work. So I'm sorry, but you're welcome. Now, before we dive into the psalm, though, uh, I need to give you a little bit of the backstory so you know the context in which David is writing the psalm, what's really going on in his life. And a couple of years after David takes Bathsheba and sleeps with her and then murders her husband Uriah, his son Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. Perhaps Amnon knew what David did with Bathsheba and he thinks, well, if the king can do whatever he wants, so can I. I'm the king's son. And David finds out about this and he's furious, but he does nothing. Tamar's brother, Absalom, also finds out about this. And and his bitterness towards Amnon grows until about two years later, he avenges his sister's rape by having Amnon killed. And then he flees the country. And about three years later, he's able to return to Jerusalem and he's reconciled with his father, David. And Absalom is handsome and charismatic. And so every day he would sit at the city gate. Now, now the city gate is the center of city and civic life. And people would pass by when they needed to go see King David for help or or because they were in trouble. And as they passed by, Absalom would say to them, the king's not going to help you. But if I was king, I would help you. I would make sure you got the justice you deserved. And day after day, over the course of four years, he did this so that he won the hearts of the people. And so Absalom begins a coup. He he begins an insurrection and he takes David's throne. And David is forced to run for his life, flee into the wilderness, fearing for his life because his own son wants to kill him. And so David leaves Jerusalem with just a few followers. Everyone else is on team Absalom. Everyone has left him. And David leaves Jerusalem weeping, his head covered in pain and grief. David's world had fallen apart. His life was shattered in a thousand pieces. 
And he writes this song. So let's take a look at how David laments. Here's the first thing that David does. He runs to God. Psalm 3, verse 1. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. David runs to God. He complains to God. He tells God that there are so many people, so many enemies, including his own son, who are after him. Here were these people who David had helped and cared for, people who he had led, people who he thought were his friends, and they've abandoned him. They've turned on him. They want to kill him. And so he runs out of Jerusalem into the wilderness, fearing for his life. When life falls apart, when everything goes wrong, often there are lots of people and places we turn to rather than God. We can run to people to to save us, to rescue us from our problems. But we can also run to food or drink or work or a number of other things to ease our pain, to forget our grief. In my own moments of overwhelming grief and pain, there have been times where I have run to other people and other things rather than God. And I'm so grateful for the community that God has given me, for the friends and family that surround me, that love me and encourage me and support me. But there is a limit to their comfort. And there are times where I've turned to other things to comfort me, really just to avoid the pain. For me, sometimes that's food. But even after a bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, nothing's really different. And no matter how much I throw myself into my work, the pain is still there. Those things, even the people that God has put in our life, will never be enough. We must run to God. Because God can handle your fears, your complaints, your disappointments. You don't have to stuff your emotions or or deny your feelings. God wants you to bring it to him, to pour your feelings out before him in his presence and to process your fear, your disappointment, your anxiety and grief with him. And look what David's enemies are saying about him. They're saying, God won't deliver him. God's not with him. God's left him. See, they've heard the rumors about David and Bathsheba. And they think David's really no different than Saul. Saul sinned and God took the kingdom from him. David sinned. And God is now taking the kingdom away from him. They are attacking his identity, his calling, his very character. And this leads David to fear and anxiety. Chronic anxiety, I'm not talking about trauma or anxiety that's related to a disorder that needs to be addressed with medication. But but chronic anxiety is based on false assumptions and false needs. Anxiety comes when what we put our security and identity in is taken away from us. And David's very identity, his sense of self, is assaulted. The truth is, David had sinned. He had repented of his sin, and God had forgiven him. Now, there were still consequences to his sin, but God had not left him. God had not forgotten him. God had not abandoned him. And so he brings his fears and his anxieties to God. He runs to God. And then look at what he does next. He remembers God. He remembers who God is and what he's done. 
Beginning in verse 1, throughout this psalm, he uses the name Lord to refer to God. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about this when we looked at Psalm 19. Whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, that's referring to the covenantal personal name of God, Yahweh. And so David has a personal relationship with God. And without a personal and intimate relationship with God, when life falls apart, you'll be lost. You'll be in despair. And that's why it's so important that we come to God's word so that we can know him. Because God reveals himself through the scriptures. He wants us to know him. That's why one of our five rhythms is scripture. That's why we think it's so important that we spend time reading and reflecting on scripture. Because there will be a day when life falls apart. when, When our world crumbles. And oftentimes it's in those moments when we run to God, when we, when we go to God's word. And that's not necessarily bad. But practicing the rhythm of scripture daily helps us grow in our relationship with God. So that when the day of trouble comes, we're prepared. Because we know God. Jen Wilkin puts it this way. For years, I viewed my interaction with the Bible as a debit account. I had a need. So I went to the Bible to withdraw an answer. But we do much better to view our interaction with the Bible as a savings account. I stretch my understanding daily. I deposit what I glean and I patiently wait for it to accumulate in value. Knowing that one day I will need to draw on it. Bible study is an investment with a long term payoff. David has a deep and intimate relationship with God. And so when things go bad... He remembers who God is. In our moments of deepest fear and anxiety, when it feels like all hope is lost, when we're overwhelmed and confused, what we have to do over and over again is preach the gospel to ourselves. We must remember who God is. We must remember what God has done. And so David says this in verse three, but you Lord are shield around me. My glory is, The one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. These are not the words of someone who's been abandoned by God. These are the words of someone who has a personal and intimate relationship with his God. First, David remembers who God is. He describes God in three ways. First, he says, God, you are a shield around me. And he uses military language because he's in a battle for his very life. And the kind of shield David is describing here is the size of a door and it wraps around you and it's used to advance against the enemy. Think Russell Crowe in Gladiator. You remember that scene in the arena? That's what David is talking about. And he says, God, you are my protector and my defender. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It means that when they do, God, you will see me through it so that I can move forward and follow you. And then he says, God, you are my glory. Glory is the weightiness, the significance and worth of someone. And David says, God, you are my source of worth and significance. David's anxious. He's afraid. He's been overthrown as king by his own son. He has few followers. The people who he thought were his closest friends have turned on him. And he's on the run because his own son wants to kill him. He's anxious because the things that he thought gave him worth and security, the things that he built his identity on have crumbled. He's no longer popular or powerful. 
He no longer has the love or approval of his people or even his own son. All of those things are gone. And he realizes that's not what gives him worth and security. That's not what gives him significance and purpose. David realizes he's not somebody because he was the king of Israel or because he was popular or because he was a good father. David is somebody because he's God's son. And often you and I place our identity, our worth in other things or other people. In our lucrative careers, in our well-behaved children, in the size of our home or in the size of our bank accounts. We look to something other than Jesus to make us happy. And we think that thing or that person is more valuable, more beautiful, more important and necessary to us than God himself. And in that moment, friends, we have created an idol. Because if you put your worth and security in something other than God, it will never be enough. And if you put your worth and security in someone other than God, you will end up destroying that relationship because that person was never meant to bear the weight of all that you're putting on them. They were never meant to be your worth. David recognizes this and he says, God, you are my glory. I once put my glory in other things, but God, you are my glory. No matter what happens, even if I lose everything, I'm still going to be okay because I have you, God. And then thirdly, he says, you're the one who lifts my head high. To lift up someone's head is a Hebrew expression for restoring someone uh, who has lost their dignity or position. It's those days when you don't want to get out of bed. When you just want to sort of pull the covers over your head and hide. And in the ancient world... When someone came before the king and they needed help, they had a problem. They would, they would fall down on their face before the king and they would ask the king for help. And if the king agreed to rescue them, he would lift up their head. And so David says, he, he, he leaves Jerusalem. He's weeping. His head is covered in grief and pain. And he says, God, I fall down before you. I, I ask you to help me. And when you hear me, you lift up my head. You act on my behalf. Friends, this is who God is for those who trust him. He's our shield, our glory, and the lifter up of our heads. David remembers who God is, but he doesn't stop there. He remembers what God has done. He says, I prayed to God in the past and he's answered me. You've done it before, God, do it again. And when life feels like it's falling apart, we must remember what God has done for us in the past. How he's provided for us, rescued us, protected us, and guided us. Fleming Rutledge is an Episcopal priest and author. And in one of her sermons, she talks about how the African-American church has so often been able to forgive unbearable persecutions and betrayals against them and their community. She writes this. They are so practiced through regular worship, Bible study, and prayer that they don't need to run out to the store in the middle of the night to buy more oil. They've been in the middle of the night for a long time. To forgive, it's part of their DNA as a Christian community. They have been storing up oil for generations. And then she points to the horrific and senseless shootings, uh, shooting in 2015 at Charleston's Emmanuel AME Church during a Bible study. And when the church reopened, many asked the members how they could forgive the shooter. And one of their ministers responded, Those of us who know Jesus, we can look through the window of our faith and we see hope. 
we see light. These are people who have a deep and intimate relationship with God. They know their God. So when life falls apart, when the worst possible thing they could ever imagine takes place, they remember who their God is. They remember what he's done. And so they forgive. And they move forward and follow God. Run to God. Remember God. Here's the third thing that David does in his lamenting. He rests in God. Verse 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. When everything goes wrong, when your world is crumbling, it can be hard to sleep. For me, things don't look worse. They don't look more scary or hopeless than at 2 or 3 a.m. When I'm lying awake in my bed and I'm wondering, what am I going to do? What's going to happen to me? But David says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. God is David's shield, his glory, and the lifter up of his head. And so he rests in God. And he says, I'm not afraid. God is doing something in David through his suffering. He's developing courage and confidence in him. Not courage and confidence in what David could do, but courage and confidence in what God could do. David has every reason to be afraid and anxious, but instead he runs to God. He remembers God and he rests in God. Friends, no matter what you're facing this morning, you can do the same. God is building courage and confidence in you in the face of the worst circumstances. Rest in God. Here's the fourth thing that David does. He relies on God. Verse seven. Arise, Lord. Deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. What I love about the Bible is that it's real. David keeps it real. He's so honest with God. He doesn't try to hide anything from God. Because really, what's the point? He's God. But David asks God to move, to rescue him. And and then he says, God... They say you won't rescue me, but I know you will. So do it, God. You are powerful. Make my enemies powerless. But notice what David doesn't do. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He doesn't say, God, I'm going to punch him in the face. I'm going to get them. I'm going to break their teeth. That's not what he says. Because often when everything is going wrong, when, when our world is crumbling, we try to figure things out on our own, don't we? We use our own strength, our own wisdom, our own resources to make things happen. But David doesn't. He relies on God to fight his battle, to make things right. He doesn't rely on his army or his military strategies. He says deliverance comes from the Lord. It's not his enemies who decide his fate. It's not their strength or their numbers that matter. The situation may look hopeless. It might feel like there's no way out of this. It might feel like no good can come from this. But David says deliverance comes from the Lord. And that's what he relies on. And ultimately God does restore David back to the throne. Because David relied on God. Some years ago I went through a really difficult season in my life. In the span of just a few weeks two really Devastating things happened in my life. 
My uncle, who is one of the greatest influences on my life, like a second father to me, unexpectedly passed away while visiting the U.S. He had a massive heart attack and there was so much damage to his heart that there was nothing the doctors could do. And so this man that was so full of life and love for God, this man who had given his whole life to serve God as a missionary in Calcutta, India, just suddenly was taken away from us. And I was devastated. It didn't seem right. It didn't seem fair. It didn't make sense. In the middle of that, my older sister was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 40. And it was at an aggressive stage. She had battled cancer before, and so it was back again. And that was overwhelming. She had a seven-year-old daughter who needed her mother. And again, I was devastated. It didn't seem right. It didn't seem fair. It didn't make sense. I was about to start a new job, and, and so I pushed my start date out a few weeks, and I jumped in to care for my niece, Rebecca. And so every day, I'd pick her up from school and get ice cream, And we'd go to my parents' house. I'd help her with her homework and take her to her after-school activities. And I didn't really process the the grief and anxiety that I was experiencing. I sort of just shoved it deep down inside of me because I didn't want to deal with it. And I threw myself into taking care of everyone else. My niece, my sister, my my family, my parents. And, And one day I picked Rebecca up from school. And we got ice cream. And on the way home, we usually talked about how her day was. But on this day, she asked me a question. And she said, is the same thing going to happen to me? And what you need to know about my family is that my mom and my sister are both two-time cancer survivors. And so I didn't really understand her question in the moment. So I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, Well, Amachi, which means grandmother in my language. Amachi and mommy both got cancer. Does that mean you and I are going to get cancer? And that question broke my heart. Because for me, one of my biggest, that's one of my biggest fears. And so to think that this sweet little girl was afraid of the same thing was just heartbreaking. And so I responded with the only truth that I had. And I said, baby, I don't know what's going to happen. But here's what I know. God loves us. God's with us. And God's going to take care of us. And even when it's scary, we can trust him. And with the resilience and faith that's just so characteristic of children, she said, okay, God's with us. God loves us. We'll be okay. Let's eat ice cream. And we got to my parents' house. I pulled into the driveway and I told her to, to go inside. My mom was waiting for her. And I watched as this little girl ran across the front lawn with this oversized pink backpack. And as soon as she got into the door, I just broke down crying. I sobbed uncontrollably because all of the anger, all of the fear, all of the grief and anxiety just came out. And I laid that before God. I ran to God and then I remembered God. I remembered who he was. What I told Rebecca was true, that God is with us, that God loves us, that God is going to take care of us, that he's faithful and good and loving and compassionate. And I remembered his faithfulness to me, to my family. And that allowed me to rest in God and to rely on God because I couldn't fix it. 
I couldn't cure my sister's cancer. I, I couldn't bring my uncle back. I wasn't in control. And that's really where my fear and anxiety stemmed from. Because I wanted to be in charge. But I didn't have the power or the resources to change a single thing. And so I did the only thing I knew how to do. I relied on God. And I tried to move forward. Trusting in him. Relying on him. And some 16 years later, God's been so merciful. My sister's been through a lot, but God has been good. And she's healthy. And my niece is now 23 years old. She graduated from college last year. She became a nurse. Because she wants to help people who are in the worst moments of their life. Because of what she saw her mother go through. And I know that's not how every story ends. I know that there are some of you here watching online that that you've been in that place where your life fell apart. I know that there are some of you here this morning that you're in that place right now. Where you feel like your life is falling apart. Your world is crumbling right before your eyes. You're overwhelmed and confused and you're not sure what to do. And the invitation to you is to do what David did. To lament. To run to God. In your moments of trouble, who or what are you running to? Pour out your fears, your disappointments, your anxieties, your your doubts, your grief to God. Let him meet you there. And then remember God. How can you remember who God is? And what he's done for you. Do you see him as your shield. Your, your glory. The lifter up of your head. Because in those moments of our deepest fear and anxiety. What we must do over and over again. Is to preach the gospel to ourselves. To remember God. And then we rest in God. How can you rest in God today? That no matter how dark things look. The Lord is with you. And he sustains you. And then finally, rely on God. What would it look like for you to rely on God today? Not taking matters into your own hands, but but moving forward in obedience, trusting in and following God. Run to God, remember God, rest in God, and rely on God. That's what Horatio Spafford did. As he traveled by ship to meet his wife, Anna, after receiving that wire, he wrote the words to that beautiful hymn, It is well with my soul. And when his life fell apart, he was able to say, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Friends, may that be our song as well. Before we come to partake of communion together, I want to give you just a few moments to reflect on your lives, to talk to God in the silence of your hearts, to to bring your grief, your anxiety, your disappointment, your fears to God, and let him meet you there. Let's go to the Lord.
Father, thank you that even in our worst moments, you hear us when we cry out to you. Thank you that we could run to you, that we can bring you our fears and anxieties. Help us to remember who you are and what you've done so that we might rest in you and rely on you. And if there's anyone here this morning who's never put their trust in Jesus as their savior, would this be that moment for them where they run to Jesus and they trust and rely on him? And for those here this morning that feel like their life is falling apart, God, would you meet them there? Would you do what only you can do? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.